Hello and welcome back to the Elevate Music podcast, dedicated to helping musicians improve their health and well-being in partnership with Help Musicians. I'm Lucy Heyman and in this episode we're going to be talking about motivation and goal setting. We're recording this during the third national lockdown in February 2021, when most musicians have been unable to perform in front of a live audience for nearly a year now. This has had a monumental effect on motivation and drive for a lot of people. So we wanted to explore this topic in detail and find out how it's possible to gain a sense of focus and direction when everything feels so out of control. To do this, I spoke to creative coach Oriel Majumdar, who told me how and why we should be setting small manageable goals. But to start, I had a chat with Lucy Spragan, who has achieved a huge amount in her career, from performing her own songs on The X Factor and signing to Columbia, to setting up her own independent label and fitness business. I wanted to find out how she does it. So let's hear from Lucy. How has this period of time affected your motivation? I've always been quite a motivated person. I feel like this has given me more motivation than ever. It's made me realise how very seriously lucky I am to be a professional musician as someone who's that's always been what I've wanted to do. It's motivated me to get more involved with people who are at the other end of their music career. So people who are just starting out, it makes me want to makes me want to go back to every show where I've ever had a support act and go and talk to them more and engage with people more. Where do you think that motivation came from and how early did you see yourself being motivated to sort of go after things that you really wanted? I have been an excessive show off since pretty much the moment I could open my mouth and um, not in an obnoxious way, just in a, I've always been a performer. And since I realised that I could make people laugh or I could make people sometimes cry or that was always what I wanted to do, like before I was doing music full-time, I was a magician. So I've always been doing something that like evokes some kind of feeling somewhere. At school, I used to play in assembly. I'd write songs about the teachers and I'd get people laughing at school. And I went to college to be a firefighter and I broke my leg while I was at work. I worked in demolition at the time and I, I had a fall. I broke my leg. And so the firefighting thing was off the table. And really... It was never a career that I was seeking. It was performing. It was feeding that desire to perform. Can you tell me a little bit about when you first started entering music and when things started getting a bit more serious and and more career orientated? How did you progress through that sort of that period? Did you find that it was something that was you were very clear about what you wanted to achieve or did it kind of happen quite organically? When I was 12, I did my first live show at Christ Tramway Festival, which a lovely guy called Chris Rockcliffe, who used to host my local club acoustic nights, took me to. And he took me to High Peak Radio and he, he really sort of pushed me there. From High Peak Radio, I started being managed by a radio DJ there who got me on support shows for like Reckless Eric and really cool old school punk shows. I did a lot of like punk stuff. I recorded an album when I was 18. I toured America for three months when I was 18 and a half, turned 19 in America. And when I was 20, I was supporting the Blanks in Dingwalls in Camden. And I got scouted for The X Factor. And some girl came up to a very pretty girl 
said, you know, would you consider it? And I was like, absolutely not, unless I can play my own songs. Otherwise, what would my agenda be? And so I managed to be the first person who'd ever played their own songs on that show. After that, well, I didn't expect what would happen. My audition was the fourth most watched video in the world. I was the most Googled artist of 2012. And it kind of like went a bit ridiculous. But as with all shows like that, it gets to the end of it and there's no structure. And so they say, do you want to come and play these arena shows for 500 quid a night? Arenas where the artists get paid 500 quid a night. And I said, no, thanks. I think I'm going to do a, a UK tour on my own. And so I did. And that's where I started back off again. 150, 200 cap venues, selling them out. And literally for the last eight years, it went 150 cap venues, 300 cap venues, 600 cap venues, 1,200, 2,000. And then the last, year before last, when we did the first, last tour, 3,500 cap Manchester Academy, Shepherds Bush Empire. There was never a, a plan. We have a manager say this all the time. We winged it and we still do. Assigned to Columbia, had a top 10 album. That wasn't quite good enough for them and their management of it wasn't quite good enough for me. So we split ways and I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to make my own record label. And I released the next two albums on Control Records, which is my record label. One was like a bit of a flop at number 22 and then the next one was number 12. And then that's when I signed to Cooking Vinyl where I released the last album. It was another number 12. It doesn't have to be conventional. You don't have to be signed to a major record label. So running a record label as well is a huge amount of work on top of what you do already as a musician and writing and producing and things. Do you have a structured approach to the label? Do you have to like create any kind of goals or any kind of structure about what you're trying to achieve? Or again, is it quite an organic process? The first goal that you have is I need to write a good record. The second goal is work out how much money you're going to spend in which areas, which is a huge thing whether you're on a record label or whether you're on a distribution deal. Money management and making a good record are the two main focuses at the beginning. I'd like to talk a little bit about your approach to health and fitness because you've achieved some amazing goals in that area. How do you approach that? Do you have a very structured approach to losing weight or getting fitter or anything? Or is it, again, is it just a really organic process? It's relatively new. So I ran for the first time last January. Yeah, so it's been a year since I embarked on a fitness journey but it's been 18 months since I gave up drinking which was a huge backpedaling thing that I've done my entire life like since 12 13 quitting drinking just opened up an entire new world for me I think when I stopped doing that six months after that my body was like we need some endorphins it looks like you're not going to be getting them externally anymore so <laughs> you'd better put some running shoes on yes I lost a lot of weight, which has been really beneficial for me and my, the movement of my body and my health. But it's the mental peace. I, I, I get peace from exercise. And that's not something I'd ever experienced before. So was that quite a structured approach in terms of the running? Or again, was it just like, I'll just see what I do today and kind of go from there? I went to Vegas when I was six months sober, which is quite a test of sobriety. We'd all been out dancing till six in the morning and I went back I'd had about nine Red Bulls and I was lying in my bed and something just was like you need to get up and you need to run so I ran and I said I'm never gonna do that again that was horrible I ran the next day and I ran the next day three weeks later I did my first 10k three weeks after that I ran a half marathon so now there is a structure at the moment because 
because work is so scarce and I'm not writing an album at the moment. I'm training twice a day. I'm on like a program. And so how are you looking to the future at the moment? Are you trying to make any plans or are you just going to see how things emerge? We just cancelled every single show that I have. Back in April, we cancelled Australia. We cancelled Europe. We postponed the first UK show. In August, we organised the socially distanced show for November. And then there was a, another lockdown, so we cancelled that. And then we had the shows postponed till April and we've just decided to cancel every single show now because we don't know. We tried. We've really tried. I've done one live stream show. We plan to do more of those. But for now, it can't be about music at the moment. And that's the first time that's ever happened in my life. How do you cope with that? Well, I'm a qualified personal trainer now. So that's something that I want to be doing more of. I have a fitness program called Fully Rewired, which is something people can get involved with. For now, my advice is, is find something. If you're the person who is mega creative at this point, throw yourself in. That was Lucy Spragan. And if you want to find out more about Lucy's latest projects, check out lucyspragan.com. We'd like to thank Help Musicians for their support in bringing you this episode. They're an independent charity that has been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated programme of health and welfare, creative funding opportunities and business support, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. Next up is creative coach Oriel Majumdar, who has been working with musicians throughout the last year, helping them to stay motivated throughout the pandemic. Let's hear from Oriel. One of the most challenging things about this period is the uncertainty about when live gigs are going to return and the impact that has on motivation. How are you able to support and guide people through that? When I think about it now, I think it was a collective trauma. This sort of, oh, it'll be fine. We'll be locked down for a few weeks. Hang on. What do you mean no gigs? What do you mean very few furlough arrangements for us? What do you, you know? So it was a succession of catastrophes, really, I think, for musicians. It's not too strong to say it. And so what I was dealing with at the beginning of the pandemic, after that kind of initial denial, really, it'll all be fine, I think was a, was helping people negotiate a series of losses you know so to use my son as an example he had a diary full of full of gigs and all of a sudden they were they were gone and I've talked to a good friend who's a folk musician up here in Sheffield and his life is gigging I mean that's what he does he's been doing it for years he absolutely adores it and suddenly that was gone so the work really has been supporting people encouraging them helping them I think make sense of what's going on for them I mean as well as the practical stuff of how, you know, how do I keep my income going? What happens if I'm not doing this job? What else do I do? All sorts of questions of identity have come in. Motivation, obviously, you know, how do I keep my spirits up? How do I make work? You know, if I'm feeling blocked, if all I want to do is lie in bed all day, what happens to my creativity? And I think in terms of what I've been able to do or what I try to do, is I'm, I'm a big believer in kind of have a dream. Of course, we've got to dream. Of, of course, we've got to keep our imaginations going. So for me, you know, the minute I get back on that dance floor, the next live gig I go to, you know, those are moments to just hold dear, you know, with all my heart, I know that they will come back and they're going to be phenomenal. 
but for me, you can't live your day to day in uncertainty. So I don't know when that next gig's going to be. I don't know when I'm going to be on the dance floor again, but I know it'll come. So then you bring the the goals forward. What can I do this week? What can I do next week? And chunk it down. I mean, it's the classic advice for anybody working on anything uh, long term where it's very uncertain is decide what you can control and set goals around that. How are you able to support people who are feeling quite hopeless? What I would say is if people are feeling hopeless, it's often grieving. So certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, maybe when did we go in March? So maybe kind of April, May, June, when the, the penny was starting to drop. I think there was a lot of emotions being processed around loss and grief. You know, as I said before, what do you mean all my gigs have gone? You know, my chance for this, this great thing that was going to happen has just been taken away from me. And what I said to people then and what I would always say is don't try and power through that. Sit with it, notice it. Hell, if you need to wallow, have a wallow, you know, just kind of sit with it because it will pass. All the theory about grief and loss says that it passes given time. You know, that's that's why the cliche is there, you know, time's a great healer. So so sit with it and process, you know, take care of yourself while you're in that kind of dip and eventually your energy will come back. And then you can start to kind of find the building blocks to help yourself out of the dip. The Buddhists, interestingly, talk about the double arrow. They talk about the arrow that hurts you, you know, so the pandemic, the loss of the gigs, the loss of possibility. And then it's the second arrow is what you do to yourself with it. So, you know, the kind of, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot because I feel like this or the comparisons that we make, you know, look at that person. They've got it so much worse. There's a real cult that I think there's been a cult during the pandemic to minimize our own experience by comparing it to others. So I haven't got COVID. Maybe I haven't lost somebody. Hopefully I haven't. Why am I complaining? So so not only are you bearing the loss of all the things you you hoped for and wanted, but then you're telling yourself how ridiculous you are for being sad or, you know, for feeling lost. So I think kind of take at least one of those arrows away if you can, is what I say to people, you know, don't don't beat yourself up about this stuff. Your experience is your experience. Honour that, it will pass. I would imagine one of those arrows could be imposter syndrome. And I've heard some musicians saying that, you know, after a year of not doing the thing that they do, like maybe being a singer or whatever, they're actually starting to feel like a slight imposter even saying they're a singer because they're not doing that thing to sort of reinforce their identity. You mentioned that you help people with imposter syndrome. Can you tell me a little bit more about it and how it might help for anyone who's struggling with their identity at the moment? Being an artist of any sort is a huge act of vulnerability, isn't it? So you're making something that's from the heart, it's from your soul, and you're putting it out there and say, saying, what do you think of it? And that's part of the magic of it. But it does mean that you're surrounded by judgment. You know, did your album sell? Did you get booked for that gig? So you're always going to be comparing yourself. And often you'll come out of that going, well, actually, I wasn't as good. So every time something happens, kind of try and get a bit of distance from it. So think, what happened there? What can I take from this? Even if it's a tiny thing, you did a gig and the sound check didn't go well and then the gig didn't go well what happened? What can you learn from it? So it could be really daft things like I need a good breakfast or I need to have a good night's sleep or I need not to have that second glass of wine the night before I'm doing something. Or maybe I need to talk to someone who really loves me before I go in to do something. And it's centering back into who you are. Like what, what is it that you're doing? What do you love about it? And who are you? Just to go back to motivation more generally, 
Where does motivation come from, do you think? There's lots and lots of academic theory about motivation. For me, I think it's twofold. So, and I always think about this in, in relation to artists in particular. So there's the internal motivation. Why am I doing this? You know, why did I pick up the guitar in the first place? Why did I write a tune when I was five or, or come up with some lyrics or, you know, so there's something, something in us that drives us. You know, some people love to perform and they get a real kind of buzz out of making people happy and, you know, moving a crowd. So there are those kind of internal motivators, you know, things like values and beliefs, like people, you know, they believe in things like community or they believe in things like art or they, you know, they have these very strong core values and motivation can be driven by those. And then there's the external motivation. So, I mean, let's not be disingenuous about it. A lot of musicians are driven by ideas of success, of fame, of recognition, of, you know, critical acclaim. All of those things are real motivations. You know, I want these things. I want to be known. I want to have a number one hit. You know, I want to be in the top 10 DJs of DJ Mag, whatever this year. I want to, you know, I want to have the radio show. And I think those are fine. They aren't dirty or bad things to want. You know, it's not bad to want those. But I think to people say motivation as if it's one thing. And I think you can break it down and think what's in me because the internal motivation to make something beautiful or experimental or edgy or whatever it is, you know, lockdown hasn't taken that away. You can still do those things if you want to. You know, you have, may have to be creative about how you do it. The external things are harder to get. So if what really drives you is being on a stage with your bandmates, looking at the faces of the crowd, hearing them whoop because, you know, you're playing the track they love – you're not going to get that, you know, you're not going to get it in the same way. And just knowing that might make a difference. So, you, so instead of going, oh, I just don't feel motivated. God, I'm useless. I must be a fake because I'm not doing it. You could go, well, what, what is it that I need? Am I able to get it right now? No, practically speaking, I'm not. Okay. If that's the case, what can I do? And maybe you just go, okay, so my motivation's not going to be very high at the moment. Go and do something else. Go and make a cake go and volunteer, go, you know, do, do something else that gives you some pleasure and some joy until things come back, like keep yourself topped up. I know that Lucy mentioned in her interview that when the X Factor was over for her, she really struggled with a lack of structure. And I think that was going to be something that musicians are really going to struggle with in that return to work and actually trying to maybe slowly build up their practice, their kind of like vocal resilience maybe, you know, they might not be used to sort of singing for a couple of hours at a time or whatever. Do you have any advice on how they can actually structure that process to minimise the anxiety of returning to work? Because it, it must be quite an overwhelming thought at the moment. There's a fantastic theory about change that says it isn't the change from one thing to another that does you in, it's the transitional period. Mm -hmm. So it's not the change from not having any live gigs to having live gigs, because that's a fabulous change. Everybody wants that. As you say, it's the transition. How do you get from one state to the other in a way that's okay for you? And I think having a routine now to get yourself ready for a routine then is a really good idea. So, you know, during the pandemic, it's a bit like all rules have just been thrown away. So if you've got nowhere to go, nothing to show up for, um, nobody expecting anything from you, it's very easy to go haywire and just kind of, you know, stay up till three in the morning watching yeah. Netflix. And, and 
you know, all power to you. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happens is everything kind of goes out of control. I think a routine can really help. You know, it's whatever works for you. So if your routine is, I need to have a fixed time to get up and to go to bed. I need to make sure I'm eating my, my meals properly. Go for it. You know, they're kind of boring but necessary. You know, I need to eat my breakfast or I need to get a walk every day. And just do kind of gentle routines. So it might be that you decide you're going to try and put a bedtime in or that you're going to try and get a walk or as lockdown eases, maybe you see a friend or something. It's just introduce one or two things at a time. And you're not aiming for this like rigid routine that kind of feels like a punishment. You're aiming for some structure in your life, as you say, and then gradually drop your creative practice into that routine. And just finally, it's been so interesting to hear about the idea of reflective practice. In performance science, we talk a lot about pre and post performance routines and reviews. It sounds similar in, in terms of actually reviewing what went well, how you set yourself up for performance and you know, afterwards what you can learn from it. But it sounds like this is a much, much wider approach to reflective practice. If someone's listening and they want to to try this out, is it something you write? Is it something you just think about? Or like, how do you put some kind of structure to reflective practice? I'm a big believer in finding the joy. Find the joy in baking banana bread, in uh, going for a walk, in you know, in, in whatever it is you do. And I think it's the same with reflective practice. So. The thing that puts people off, the thing they tell me that puts them off is they think it's a big fancy name for a big fancy thing. Mm -hmm. And they think that they have to put an hour aside or have a journal or whatever. And I think it's much more simple than that. So I think find the thing that works for you. Five minutes at the end of the day, I can't journal. I haven't got the attention span. So my hand can't go fast enough for my brain. So I do things like mind maps that's what I love. I love drawing circles and looping them together and da, da, da. So what I do at the end of every day is I do a five minute, what went well, what didn't go so well, what do I want to do about it? And that's the critical bit because otherwise, if you're just doing what happened, what did I think about it? You can get into overthinking. You just get in this loop of what did I think? What did I think? What did I think? And you've got to lift it into action. So when you're doing any kind of reflection, you must always land with, so what? What am I going to do? And the answer could be nothing. I'm going to carry on as I was. Or you might want to change something. And that thinking about the kind of what happened and what do I think about it could be mind maps like me. It could be journaling if you're really into it. You could make a piece of music. You could read a poem. I do lots of poetry stuff in my workshops. You could go meditate. You could collage. You can do whatever works for you. So enjoy it, respect it, find something that works and little and often. So if you can do five minutes at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day, really go for that. You don't have to come out of it with a beautiful journal or a, an action plan, just something that's meaningful for you that you're going to either carry on doing or do differently. That was Oriel Majumdar. And if you want to find out more about her work, her website is linked in the show notes. Has your motivation been impacted over the last year? Send us an email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com or find us on social media at elevatemusicpod and let us know. Thank you to Lucy and Oriel for speaking to me. You've been listening to the Elevate Music podcast with me, Lucy Heyman. 
If you want to find out more about how to look after your health and well-being as a musician, I've co-authored a book on this subject with Rianne Jones, which is out on the 26th of February. It's called Sound Advice and we've got some discount codes available. So follow us on social media at Sound Advice Book for those and you can buy the book at soundadvicebook.com. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Listen Entertainment in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity which provides essential and enduring support to make a meaningful difference to the lives of professional musicians. Thanks for listening. And remember, there's still funding out there available for musicians at the moment. We've put a list in the show notes if you want to check that out. But in the meantime, take care and we'll be back in a couple of weeks for the next episode.